0: Topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Diet... Welcome to episode 98
1: of the Naturally Nourished podcast. I cannot believe that we are almost to episode 100, Becky. What do you think about that?
2: It's amazing. We'll have to do something extra special in episode 100. I don't Um, know what
1: it is yet. It's going to be epic for sure, so stay tuned. But today, we're talking about a topic that is near and dear to both of our hearts, wine.
2: Yes, this is something Allie and I definitely connect over many, many times.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and although we both love wine and drink it a couple times a week, and I've been known to have a glass every day, today we're going to be talking about the dirty truth about wine with guest Todd White from Dry Farms Wine.
2: Yes, we were so excited to learn all about Dry Farms Wines at Paleo Effects, where they were expoing and they also sponsored several of the events. And then we saw them again recently at KetoCon and one of their lovely employees, Anthony, provided us a bottle of sparkling rosé for us to test out the product and their claims that it does not cause a hangover. And I think we both felt pretty good the next day.
1: I think so. Sharp, sharp <laughs> as a tech. <laughs> yes. And I first learned about them uh, two years ago at KetoCon. They were there as well. And you know, when I first went into the ketogenic diet, I was really concerned about, I had this kind of max when I would test my blood of knowing that I could have about a glass and a half of wine. Otherwise, I'd get kicked out of ketosis. And so that was kind of that recommendation and dance of, well, do I just have to drink neat tequila or vodka soda and feel like a sorority girl. I really want to experience the terroir and the beauty of the connectivity to the earth and something that seems more natural. So dry farms to the rescue. And you guys are going to learn some awesome stuff about the beauty of wine and the benefits of potentially microdosing alcohol, as well as some really scary stuff on how wine can be adulterated and treated and the many chemical additives that can be added to your bottles, and it's not just grapes, guys. It's kind of scary.
2: It sure is, and Todd is just a wealth of knowledge on this topic, so we're so excited and grateful to have him on the podcast. So without further ado, I will read his bio, and then we'll jump right in. Todd is a self-described biohacker who practices daily meditation, Wim Hof breathing, cold thermogenesis, a ketogenic diet, intermittent fasting, and he's a fitness enthusiast. He is also a frequent speaker on the topics including a ketogenic diet and lifestyle, meditation, company culture, and business performance. Today, after 15 years in the wine business, his life is dedicated to educating people to make better choices about food, nutrition, and how they think about consuming alcohol. He's the founder of Dry Farms Wines, a writer, speaker, and leading authority on healthy organic and natural wines, and the importance of microdosing alcohol for health, longevity, and vitality. Todd's passion is unlocking the best way to enjoy alcohol and how to enjoy the benefits of moderate consumption without the negative outcomes.
1: And in today's episode, we will be talking about at the end, but just in case you're getting so excited and want to get started now, uh, before we bring Todd on, I want to let you know that you can go over to dryfarmswine.com forward slash Allie Miller RD. So it's dryfarmwines.com forward slash Allie Miller RD. And with your purchase of Dry Farm Wines, you can add a bottle to your order for only a penny. So, pretty exciting. You can pause this, get yourself a glass, and join us on in. Let's bring on Todd. Welcome, Todd. We are so excited to have you on the Naturally Nourished podcast. We love your passion and enthusiasm for all things natural wine, and hanging out with your staff has always been a highlight, both at Paleo FX and Ketocon these past two years. But uh, for new listeners, uh, new to you and Dry Farm Wines, let's start off with a bit of background about how you developed the company and how this all came about.
3: Awesome, Ali and Becky. Good morning. And uh, I'm excited to share lots of knowledge about natural wine and some dirty, dark secrets about the wine industry. Um, So, yeah, how we got started, I became ketogenic, uh, I've been a lifelong biohacker. Had a lot of interest in um, you know alternative therapies and living a whole clean natural life, and just have been sort of um, just leading a for most of my adult life just a just a very healthy kind of experiment of different um, techniques and practices. And so I became ketogenic about four years ago, a little, a little bit before it would became as fashionable as it is today. I learned of the ketogenic lifestyle through the biohacking movement. And when I really got dialed into my nutrition ketogenically, I, could not, uh, I couldn't drink wines, traditional wines anymore. They were making me sick. They were causing me to feel terrible, to have brain fog in the mornings. And so I stopped drinking for a little while. Uh, in a tragic period, I right. refer to <laughs> as suffering through sobriety. I
2: love that. The dry age. <laughs>
3: right. So, anyway, that didn't work out so well. And so I, I really started just, it was an, kind of an accidental stumbling onto the wine, natural wine revolution, which was just really getting well underway. The natural wine revolution now is also quite fashionable. And, um, but at the time, No one, virtually no one knew anything about them. I certainly didn't know anything about them, even though I lived and lived at that time in Napa Valley in the heart of the wine country. But I didn't know anything about natural wines. So anyway, that's it was just it was just an accidental kind of bumbling that um, that I discovered these and and um, and started lab testing them and drinking them and experimenting with them. And then we kind of created this business around it. Uh, really s- just began scratching my own itch, and uh, started sharing them with friends, and they were like, oh, wow, these wines are amazing, and I feel great, and I don't have any of the negative adverse effects associated with, you know, wine normally, like, and particularly red wines, and so that's, uh, that's kind of how it got started, and now we're the largest natural wine buyer in the world, and, you know, we have this huge natural wine club, and, uh, and people enjoy uh, our wines all over the world.
1: So were you just kind of tasting and you stumbled across an old world wine or a bi- biodynamic vineyard or and, and you were like, hey, I, I don't feel like crap in the morning or where, where how did that kind of come about as far as discovery? And um, do you remember your first experience of a clean? Oh, yeah, wine?
3: yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it changed my life. So it was I mean, I've been drinking wine my entire practically my whole life, but certainly my entire adult mm-hmm. life, and just had a long-time love affair with wine. Yes, I remember the, the natural wine, specifically a Pinot Noir from Mosul, Germany, that changed my life okay. and really caused the pursuit of, of sharing this passion, this obsession we have with with this natural way of living and drinking natural wines. So, yes, it it was it was. What happened? I was on vacation in Mexico with the smartest person I know in the wine business who actually lives in Napa Valley. He's a longtime friend of mine. And I had stopped drinking wine and I was talking with him. I thought it was initially I thought what was causing me to feel bad in wine. And this is partially to blame. What was making me feel bad was higher alcohol levels. So traditional wines have creeped up over the last 20 years every single year, alcohol levels have been rising in wine. And so now commercial wines are typically 14 and a half to 17% alcohol. I usually drink wines today between 10 and 11% alcohol. And so I initially thought it was just the alcohol. And so I asked my friend, Hey, how low, uh, how low can i how low can alcohol go in a wine and it still tastes like wine? And, uh, and his answer was about 9%. In fact, it's a little lower than that. We actually are producing, uh, having a wine produced in Europe now that's 6% alcohol. Mm-hmm. And so alcohol is a very, very dangerous neurotoxin, right? And so we need to be very careful with our dosage. And I enjoy drinking wine and a lot of it. So I need to lower down the amount of alcohol in each glass in order to have a healthy experience so anyway that that I, I started experimenting he he asked me at that time he said have you tasted any of the low alcohol wines coming out of Europe and I was like no I' never heard of anything like that and he said yeah you can get wines in 10 11 12 percent but they're you know they're a little bit different and I was like okay so I went to a wine store in San Francisco and I walked in the most famous wine store in San Francisco it's kind of a large place, and but but very boutique specialty retailer. Um, and I asked them to direct me to the low alcohol wines, and they looked at me like I had a third eye, right? And so they're like, uh well, you can look on the bottles, but that's about the most help we can give you. So I bought a case of lower alcohol wines. I took them home and I tasted them. I poured about about three quarters of them in the sink because they were just not drinkable. And, and from there, uh, from there, I actually, I discovered this importer who was in Paris, uh, Paris, France, and importing into the U.S. who had these low alcohol wines that I really liked all of them, like this importer had an aesthetic, right? Like they, so, you know, like we buy wines that we love. You know, we don't buy wines trying to satisfy everybody. We buy the wines we love to drink. And so this importer is the same way. And then I actually heard him on a podcast and talking about his philosophy. And and so I called him in France, and and we uh, connected. And, and he n- informed me that they sold natural wines. And I was like, well, what is a natural wine? And I'll tell you what that is in a moment. But that began a discovery of, then being referred to the only natural wine retailer who's a friend of mine in San Francisco he has this tiny little shop but always he sells her natural wines so i just you know so that's how i discovered the natural wine revolution and then you know got on health podcast and, and and started telling the story the dark secrets of what's really going on in the wine business and why wines are making people feel bad and why alcohol levels have been rising and why alcohol is dangerous and also all of the wonderful aspects of drinking a healthy wine right and how we feel from that and why we should be focused on that so that that's kind of the story and you know from there interestingly enough because because i had made some wine in napa valley a kind of hobby wine i consider anytime you make wine you lose money on it as a hobby Right so I'd made some hobby wine a few years ago so I knew a lot about wine making but I didn't really realize what was going on in the wine business but what I did know was that there were certified enologists which are like wine labs right and there were a couple of really important ones in the Napa Valley And so what I did was I took these natural wines and then I started doing lab testing on them to further quantify uh, what I thought was a health outcome and also a a feeling from drinking, right? So we started doing lab testing and with these natural wines and making sure that they were sugar free and making sure that they were lower in alcohol, because I'm going to explain to your audience a number of kind of dirty, dark secrets in the wine business, but one of them. Is that the alcohol stated on the bottle is not required to be accurate by law?
2: Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so
3: there's a number of areas where the wine industry and the US government are in bed together. And the other one is the most significant one is that wine is the only major food group without a contents label on it. Now, the reason there's not a contents label is because. The, the wine industry, the U.S. wine industry, has lobbied politicians. There have been many efforts to label wine with its contents. Uh, but the wine industry has been more successful in spending tens of millions of dollars in lobby money to keep contents labeling off of wine. Now, the reason they don't want a contents label on it is very simple. There are 76 FDA-approved additives for the use in winemaking some of them some pretty nasty characters now the interesting thing about all the facts i'm going to share with you about the dirty dark secrets of the wine industry is everything i'm telling you is available online with a simple google search like fda wine additives and you'll get the nasty list of chemicals that are there right so these these additives are widely used in nearly all commercial wines, I don't care whether you're paying $150 a bottle or $15 a bottle, you're drinking chemicals. That is just the facts. So these 76 additives that are approved by the FDA, nobody knows about them or they didn't know about them until I started talking about them. I didn't know about them either, right? And so the, 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 other, the other problem with commercial wines is that they commonly have sugar in them. So as a ketogenic, as following a ketogenic diet, I'm also substantially sugar-free, right? And avoid even, you know, commercial salad dressings in restaurants or, you know, go to a pretty significant extent to keep sugar out of my life. And So commercial wines are commonly also contain sugar. There's a bunch of other problems with them as well. They're generally irrigated, which is another problem. They're higher in alcohol in part because they're irrigated. And I can explain that to you in a moment, but, but they're higher in alcohol. So the industry, both as a style, and I'll tell you why in a moment on that, but also the industry has focused on rising alcohol levels in wine for about 20 years. Every single year, they just continue to bump up and bump up and bump up a little bit. The problem with that is that, and the reason the industry does it is because alcohol is addictive, And also, the higher the alcohol, the slippery the slope, the more likely you are to actually drink more, right? And so, (laughs) this is an industry-driven initiative. In addition to, it's just a winemaking style. And what higher alcohol in wine does is it makes the wine richer, bigger, bolder, uh, to really appeal to what I would call the dead American palate, right so the american palate cab. <laughs> well it's been killed it's been killed with processed foods and sugar right sure. and so we just we now it will recover if you you know if you start eating clean and you get off of sugar and get away from processed foods and chemicals your 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 palate will recover you'll become more sensitized to taste which is why our customers love our wines is because they're lighter, cleaner, fresher, just the way they eat, right? So they're also eating, I mean, our customers are primarily women, about 70% of our customers are women, Um, and they, you know, they're health evangelists, and they're interested in what they put in their body. They're the kind of consumers like you and I that read contents labels. Well, they don't get that option on a bottle of wine, so they trust us to source organic, you know, hundred percent organic fruit or biodynamic, and biodynamic is a is a prescriptive form of organic farming. But they trust us to source the, the, the correct fruit and then to make sure that it's additive free and that it's naturally made and non irrigated. Irrigation drives up what irrigation does, in fact, The United States is virtually the only place in the world, not exclusively, but virtually the only place in the world that irrigates grapevines. And in fact, it's illegal in most of Europe to irrigate a grapevine because Europeans who've been making wine for 3,000 years know what I know. The moment you irrigate a grapevine, you fundamentally change the physiology of how that plant relates to the earth and to its neighbors and the quality of the fruit that it produces. And the reason you irrigate is to create higher yield and fruit that weighs more. because when you fill the fruit with water, it weighs more. Well, it might not come as a surprise. fruit is sold by the ton. So irrigating a grapevine is about money and greed. And so that's and, and more than 99% of grapevines in the United States are irrigated here's the problem with it. In addition to the fact that it produces a lower quality fruit, and I might add from a health perspective, it also produces fruit with lower antioxidant value because the polyphenols that are contained in grapes and particularly in red wines, over 800 polyphenols, the most f- famous one is resveratrol. The When you fill the berry with water, you dilute the polyphenols and the antioxidant value of, of of the berry and consequently the wine but in addition to that what happens with an irrigated grapevine is that is that it it um, it gets all of its water and nutrient from the surface there's a little tube just above the trunk And so the grapevine, the root ball of an irrigated grapevine is about four feet deep and about three feet in diameter. It's it's quite small because the roots get all of its nourishment and water just right from the surface above the trunk. An unirrigated mature grapevine can have roots that stretch 50 feet deep into the earth, right? And well, what's happening there and what's happening there and the reason natural wine's actually taste better and they have terroir or the taste of the place where they're grown is because these roots, which are like, you know, the size of human hair, they're these these little capillaries that just like struggle through the earth, breaking apart little pieces of mineral rock and, you know, soil in in desperate search for nutrient and water. That struggle uh, produces a higher quality and character of the fruit but also minor, more minerality to the fruit. So you mm-hmm. could actually taste more of the place where the where the grape is grown. But here's the, here's the problem with alcohol and irrigation and wine making styles and alcohol, is that when you fill a grape berry with water, you have to let it get riper. So the end of the ripening, it has to hang longer on the vine and what's called hang time to get riper to have higher sugar levels before it has proper flavor development because it's filled with water, right? So the sugar levels have to be much, much higher, much higher, 30, 40% higher at the time of harvest than an unirrigated grapevine. Now, the problem with that is that the higher the sugar at the time of picking is, it results in higher alcohol at the time of fermentation, and here's why. Here's how wine is made. And this is the most common question we get, how are your wines sugar free? Well, this is how this is how wine becomes sugar free and this is how wine is made. So, wine juice, grape juice, which is teeming with sugar comes in contact with yeast. And the yeast starts to eat the sugar. And if the yeast is allowed to fully if the if the wine is allowed to fully ferment, meaning the yeast eat all the available sugar, then the yeast will die. Right? Once they've eaten all the available sugar, then you have a sugar-free wine because the wine has been fully fermented. So when the yeast eats the sugar, the result of that is ethyl alcohol and carbon dioxide. That's how wine is made. Here's the, here's the rub on the higher alcohol. The higher the sugar is in the fruit at the time of harvest will coordinate with, with how high the alcohol level becomes at the end of the fermentation. Now, finally... How how sugar gets in wine, because this is part of the wrapping up the fermentation story. Here's how commercial wines get sugar in them. They're not added. It's not added. What happens is that the winemaker introduces, dumps, pours, sulfur dioxide into the, the wine tank during the fermentation to kill the yeast before they complete the fermentation, leaving residual sugar behind. And that's done for a couple of different reasons. It's one is it's uh, it sugar adds sort of mouthfeel and 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 that long caramelly finish that you get from wines that's sugar, right? And so sugar adds, and again Americans like this kind of bigger, richer, bolder sort of finish and taste and that sugar you know when you you've probably heard people say oh this wine has great legs like when you mm-hmm. like when you um swirl a wine glass and you can see the legs run down the or what are what are called legs i'm sure most of your audience knows about this that's actually glycerol that's actually a form of sugar it's not it has nothing has zero to do with the quality of wine in fact i would tell you just the opposite that the wine is less healthy you know, because it contains sure. sugar and sugar byproducts. So common sense will tell you that those legs, that that grabbing onto the side of the glass, that that's a sugar-like, that it is a sugar-like um, compound because it's actually holding on. It's sticky. Those legs are nothing to do with the quality of wine. It's certainly nothing to do with health. Does that make sense?
2: Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're blowing our minds here. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, as well, along the fermentation conversation, I heard you mention in another podcast that oftentimes commercial winemakers are using genetically modified yeast versus the naturally occurring yeast that should be growing on the grapes. What's the deal with that? How does that end up influencing flavor and uh, the wine in general?
3: Well, it's 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 a great question. One that's largely overlooked, but but commercial wineries. I mean, everything that you see in your wine shop and on your grocery shelf use genetically modified commercial yeast all of the time. And there's a reason for that. There's a couple of reasons for that. And I'll explain to you what, what happens. So on the skin of every grape is, is wild yeast. It's indigenous to the vineyard where the wine is grown. So every single grape in the world has yeast on the skin right that's that's just a nature's process and so <clears throat> natural winemakers ferment the wine exclusively with these wild indigenous native yeast now here's the problem with the wild native you know nature's oftentimes not very kind or friendly right i mean it does have perfection in its in its in its working beauty but it you know it can be it is not always kind and friendly here's the problem with with native yeast. They're very temperamental and difficult to work with, and you can't really make wine in appreciable quantities utilizing native yeast because it's too risky. The fermentation process requires a lot of coddling. Here's the other thing that happens with native yeast as well, is that if it's not in a temperature control tank, and natural winemakers do not use temperature control, if it's not in a temperature control, a cooled tank, you will end up with a spontaneous fermentation. In other words, as soon as the yeast and the grape juice come in contact with one another, it's called spontaneous fermentation. It starts to ferment. Well, this is again another problem for another problem for commercial winemakers. So what they do is again, they use sulfur dioxide. So you crush the, you you press the grape juice off of the, the berries. And then red wine, of course, goes into a tank with its skin. That's how red wine gets its color. So juice from a red wine grape and juice from a white wine grape are both clear. Red wine gets its color and its additional polyphenols, including resveratrol, from contact with the skin. So the juice is pressed off for red wine, the skins go in the tank, juice goes with it, and just following that, for almost all commercial wineries, they're having temperature-controlled tanks anyway, but just following that, they dump sulfur dioxide in the wine to kill the native yeast. So they want the native yeast dead and gone
1: and that's just for predictability. It's for or predictability or
3: and sturdiness, and also these commercial yeasts, these genetically modified commercial yeasts, can also be modified to enhance flavor profiles. So let's say, no. oh, I want a wine that tastes like it's from Italy. Well, they got a yeast for that, right? And so, and so that you know, or what you would say that uh, commonly, you know, is Mediterranean profile, right? So mm-hmm. they have they have yeast for that, but they're always using these these sturdy lab grown commercial yeast because they're very very hardy right and they don't require a lot of attention they just do their work right and they're super predictable right cuz they're not wild and crazy right and so they've been they've been bred down to be very tame so that's 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 no we don't know we don't really know from a health perspective we don't know what that means there's no nobody's done any studies on it we, we We don't know what it means. we don't know in our wines if getting rid of additives, if it's organic farming, lower alcohol, the use of native yeast uh, the we we don't know there's there's no studies here's what we do know when you drink it, you feel better right sure. and so you know just like a lot of biohacking and a lot of health you know a lot of alternative health practices there you know many of them. Um, there's very little and sometimes little to no peer reviewed scientific evidence that they work. Right. Right. But I love the proverb as a biohacker that to feel is to understand. Right. And so (laughs) when you're in touch with your body and you're eating clean and you're living clean, you can feel the effects that anything you put in your body have on your body and your mind. Right, and so we know that when you drink these natural wines, that there are all these cofactors. We can't tell you exactly which one's doing the most for you, but we know that you have a better quality buzz. It's cleaner, lighter, fresher, right? And uh, and you don't have any negative residual effects that you normally have from from drinking wines because you're just not drinking all these poisons and you know lower, lowering the alcohol makes a huge difference.
1: Sure, and now. When we're talking about, I want to real quick before we go into kind of the beauty of wine, because I'm curious of you know when people save like a, a sourdough culture or a starter beyond the wild yeast. Do some boutique vineyards or biodynamic farms still do a secondary inoculation and fermentation with wild yeast that they that they've captured and that and that they're using intentionally or purposefully? Or is that just not done?
3: Are, are you saying in commercial wines?
1: No, in more of a uh, natural wine, would they ever save their own natural yeast strains? Uh, no, they like
3: they're, a no, they're just variety. fermented with the yeast that's already. I mean, it, the yeast collects through the air and it sticks to the sticks to the skin of the grape. So, mm-hmm. um, no, I mean, you can. You know, they're they're you know, their claims that people. You know, I hear commercial winemakers say that they will have a wine, I mean, a yeast created from a natural yeast, right? They'll take it in right. and have and have a commercial yeast. And I don't understand. I do understand the thinking because they're easier to work with. But, you know, that they can go and have a commercial, sturdy commercial yeast made from the wild yeast. This, this, I've heard Starter, this. Yeah. I don't know if it's true. But. This okay. is this is some claim that I've heard from natural from commercial winemakers. So, what makes a wine natural? In our case, and our criteria is our health criteria. And by the way, you're probably aware because it sounds like you may have heard podcasts before. We do not sell or drink any domestic wines. So, there are no wines made in the United States that meet all of our health criteria. And our health criteria is more stringent than just being natural wine. So there's a lot of natural wines that don't fit our criteria, right? And and the primary reason that other natural wines wouldn't two reasons why natural wines wouldn't fit our criteria is that they'd be too high in alcohol. We have a 12.5% cap, or they contain sugar. So again, Leaving residual sugar behind in wine is a winemaking style. Rieslings, as an example, we occasionally, very rarely find a Riesling that is sugar-free, right? Every now and again. But generally, just the winemaking style of the region, they they leave residual sugar behind in the wine. So that's the reason we do independent lab testing on every wine to ensure that it meets all of our standards, which would include... That it has to be dry farmed. Of course, the name of our company is Dry Farm Wines, so must be organically farmed uh, with uh, no use of any chemicals or industrial practices. Uh, it, um, including in the organic farming, is natural winemakers have a real obsession with living soils, right, and biodiversity on the farm. And so this is a really, really big deal, which is one of the reasons that most, not all, but almost, almost all of natural wine farmers. And when I say wine farmers, we look at wine is grown, not made. So when we talk about, when we talk about natural wine growers, right, because nothing's happening to the, to the wine other than it's going into a press in a tank already has the yeast in it it already has so whatever you take out of the vineyard in a natural wine is what goes in the tank that's it there's no additions no corrections nothing added nothing subtracted and so so wine from our perspective is really grown not made but natural wine growers this this kind of obsession with living soils and biodiversity most almost all natural wine growers do not even plow uh, or turn the dirt at all in their vineyard because they, because there's you know, these billions of organisms and our soil is alive. I mean, it's like there's this massive underworld life there, right, that, that is beneath the mulch. And so they don't even turn the earth over because when you turn the earth over like with a plow or anything like that, you expose all of the richness of these organisms to the sun and they die. Right, and so turning
1: the gut inside out. Yeah. <laughs> right. So. The biome.
3: Yeah. So the so, so the, the biome dies. So anyway, so there's so we're organic farming, you know, uh, soil management, uh, biodiversity, no irrigation, native yeast fermentation, and then in our case, lower alcohol and sugar free.
1: Awesome, and, and I definitely can tell a difference. Becky and I have experimented (laughs) favorably or unfavorably on both ends of the spectrum. And, uh, I think the only for listeners, the thing that people often demonize is sulfites. And that's what you were referring to when you were saying that added sulfur dioxide, correct?
3: That's correct. So, So sulfites, by the way, most people, most people do not have an actual sulfite allergy, right? So most people If you have a sulfite allergy, you're walking around with an EpiPen in your pocket, and it's less than 1% of the population. However, sulfites can cause people to feel poorly, but that's not what's driving most of the problem and how we feel with wine. So, you know, it's very common, I'm sure you're aware of this, it's very common, particularly for women, to say that they can drink white wine, but they can't drink red wines because they get a headache and other... Uh, Allergy responses to, and I'm going to tell you why most often why that's the case. It's not the sulfites, although that's commonly believed. Sulfites are actually higher in white wines than red wines, and sulfites are naturally occurring in all wines. They're just higher, they occur at a higher level in white wines than red. But that being said, What's causing most women and even men and myself included to feel bad from drinking red wine in particular is uh, biogenetic amines. And there are two offenders that do most of the damage, and that is tyramine and histamine. And so, and that the response to to these amines are um, a tightness in the center of the forehead, flushness. um, you know, uh, uh, sneezing, uh, rhinitis, redness. Yeah, runny nose for What's sure. that?
1: Mm-hmm. Right. I said rhinitis, like runny yeah. nose, that ear, nose and throat gunk. <laughs> right. And that's because of more of the tannins, right? The, the fermentation because of the skin. Yeah.
3: It, it's, it's, it, it, they, they, they are a, they are a byproduct of, of the fermentation process. But here's the thing, the way commercial wines are now made is This is a winemaking style. So, commercial wines. How these amines get elevated levels in in um, in commercial wines is that the maceration period, and this is why red wines are particularly affected. So, the maceration period, which is what you call the skin contact with red wines, you know, right? How it gets its color and also its other added antioxidant benefits. The maceration period is extended pretty pretty extensively in commercial winemaking for this reason. So you get higher tannins. You also also get more body in the wine. And the primary reason it's done is the wine is darker. So if you've drank our wines, you notice that they're lighter in color. They also taste lighter and cleaner, but they're also lighter in color. Because the mas- maceration periods are much much shorter, so the longer the longer the wine is in contact with the skin, the darker the the darker the wine gets, right? And if you drink, you know, American Cabernet, you'll see that they're super black dark, right? The, that's because the maceration period or the contact with skin has been extended. That also raises these biogenetic amines to unhealthy levels from our perspective, and we're endorsed by like many. Histamine leaders and bloggers who've experimented with sure. our wines because the maceration period is very, very short. Uh, because Americans believe the reason this is doing all of these things are happening because it's what Americans want. Americans believe, and I'm sure you probably this sure. makes sense to you Americans believe the darker a red wine is, the higher quality it is. In fact, that's just not true
1: until i heard you talk that there can actually be colorants then added to wine that blew my mind i thought that would not be legal (laughs) it's like what
3: uh well it's it's just one of the wow many things that can be added to wine but actually the leading wine color agents Uh called mega purple um it was invented and is manufactured by the gallo company which is you know the second largest wine manufacturer in the world well, see, what's happened in our wine supply is exactly the same thing as happened to our food supply. And this is another <clears throat> shocking fact uh, about the wine industry. So, 52% of all wines manufactured in the United States are made by just three giant conglomerates. Over half the wine made by just three companies. Now, your listeners don't know that because these slick, very smart, very bright, multi-billion dollar conglomerates hide behind thousands of labels and brands to have you believe that you're drinking from a farmhouse. In fact, you're drinking from massive factories located in Central California, uh, where you, these tank farms, these manufacturing plants are as big and as far as you can see, right? And these wines are not, these are not real wines, these are not honest wines. these are manufactured wines right, to have certain taste profiles and certain characteristics that Americans seem to like. But actually, the top 30 companies in the United States, the top 30 wine manufacturers make over 70% of all the U.S. wines. So it's, you know, this wine is sold through story, right? Like little farmhouse, the, you know, this is kind of how wine is sold, right? And that's just not how wine is made in the United States, most of it.
1: So tricky. So let's say, so, okay, we're buying boutique wine. We're using dry farms to procure and do all the sourcing for us. So all we have to do is enjoy. Let's talk on the positive end of the spectrum about resveratrol and poly- polyphenols and what the benefit of microdosing alcohol may be.
3: Well, you know, the resveratrol thing has is a bit of a red herring. Uh, and uh, a bit of a manufactured story from the wine industry. It is true that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, there are over eight hundred polyphenols in red wine. There are just over two hundred in white wine. As you know, red wine is the is the is the recommended um, is is the recommended wine for health benefits, uh, as long as it's clean and naturally made, and you can drink it without feeling bad. But because of the polyphenols, it's it and 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 antioxidants, it is. It is the, the 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 most recommended wine. That being said, resveratrol, however, is a, is a bit of a misleading spin from the wine industry. The first of all, resveratrol studies have only been conducted in mice, and so and they have been shown to it has been shown in very 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 high doses to extend lifespan and the wine industry jumped on that and and touted it and sort of ran it around red and around the block the fact is you'd have to drink a swimming pool full of red wine to get these kind of concentration levels of resveratrol and so and there's no human studies uh, showing that that it extends lifespan so i you know we so it's a bit of a red herring from my point of view but here's what we do know there are over 800 polyphenols contained in in red wines and uh, and wines have been shown to be healthy. And as you may know, in all the blue zones, in all but one blue zone in the world, uh, wine is a is a daily staple of diet. And so, the um, so we, we we you know again, it's it it's thought to be a healthy food a healthy food type as long as it's made correctly. And again, as long as the alcohol levels not too high before we get onto the really wondrous beauty of what is the poetry of wine, the, the, the experience of, of this love that is in the bottle. But before I go to that and talk about that for a moment, because it's a really important part of the wine story, the more than 9,000 years of cultural engagement with, with wine in the world, right? It's in art and religion and politics and, Uh, It's been, you know, wine has been permeated throughout every part of our human existence. So, and there's some wonderful things about that. And I want to talk about that. But before we do, we need to also acknowledge that alcohol is a very, very dangerous and addictive neurotoxin, right? And so microdosing from our perspective is super important. I love to drink wine. And at times I probably drink more than a microdose to be sure um but 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 wine is uh, you know w- alcohol it, we, we have to we just be very very careful with alcohol As you know in the paleo movement and also in keto and just in the in the f- forward looking forward thinking health movement the thinking is that you should drink tequila because it's made from this plant and it's you know it's clean it's super distilled doesn't have any additives in it, and, uh, you know, it's this super clean product. And so, in fact, there's something called the NorCal Margarita, which is like sparkling water and lime juice and tequila, you know, as an alternative to the traditional sugar-fused margarita. But the problem is, from my perspective, as a person who has a lifetime relationship with alcohol, sometimes unhealthy relationship with alcohol at certain periods of my life, and so it's like, you know my problem with spirits is while they are clean I do agree that 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 they're additive free and they're and they're distilled clean if it's a high quality spirit I'm talking about clear clear spirits not brown spirits That's a whole different story but let's just talk about tequila for a second or vodka um, vodka and tequila are the two cleanest spirits and um, but the problem is it's 45% alcohol and most people, certainly drinkers, most people don't have a drink. Most people have several, me included. I don't drink spirits, but I did at one time, but not anymore. But so this, this higher dose of alcohol is really, you know, is, is, is really quite dangerous. And again, alcohol is like a domino drug. So it's like, you know, the more you drink, the more it kind of pulls you down into that wormhole. It's a slippery slope. So that's the reason we recommend drinking. You know, we we are working on a wine product in Europe right now with 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 a grower at actually three percent alcohol, right? So, and we are now making or having not we're not making it, but we have a a winemaker and, and a wine grower in Austria who's making a six percent wine from us for us that's actually botanically infused with edelberry flower tea. Uh, really, really, super interesting and delicious, but six percent alcohol is a sparkling wine so anyway it's uh, it's it's very important, and you know when you drink a bottle of wine you've you've obviously drank our wine I mean, if you drink a bottle of our wine it's a very different experience than drinking a sure. bottle of commercial wine
1: absolutely and so let's talk about if dosed appropriately and um, so beyond the blue zone and seeing health trends of longevity and community, I think is a, a big piece of uh wine bringing people together and sharing and kind of being ceremonial in some sorts how about the influence of wine and food and the, and the synergy within that um as far as pairing and and flavor profiles and this communicative relationship
3: well the the, the interesting thing about food pairing is i, I never i spent most of my life drinking pedigreed commercial wines right? Um, generally in the, you know, just, you know, just what are thought to be fine, qu- high quality wines and many from California and around the world. I never really understood the food pairing issue, particularly where red wines were concerned because I, I just didn't get it. I mean, it was like, I mean, I understood how it paired with beef or elk or, you know, but, but wine pairings with Traditional red wines are also big, rich, and heavy. I didn't really understand that. Natural wines are very different. And also wines that lower alcohol are very different. See, alcohol is not food friendly. So, I mean, you wouldn't sit down and think about eating a salad with a glass of vodka, right? Right. I mean, this is like food and and alcohol, ethyl alcohol, don't go together. I mean, it's just not friendly. So actually wines that are lower in alcohol are actually way, way more food friendly. Right. And then you can get into really the nuances of of pairing food and wine. And and, but when thinking about food and wine, you know, we always we don't drink during the daytime. And um, which is very uncommon for people in the wine business. Um, So we don't drink in the daytime. I don't recommend anybody else drinks in the daytime. The primary reason for that is, well, it's you know, it's it's a neuro is going to be. It's going to have, as you know, you're going to get high from it, and it doesn't make me very doesn't make me uh, very productive uh, in the daytime. But in addition to that, when you when you introduce alcohol uh, into your system, you're going to stop fat burning. And because I'm ketogenic, I'm super interested in in fat burning and <clears throat> super interested in in uh, keeping the efficiencies of of fat burning. So when you take any When you ingest any exogenous uh, substrate energy source, alcohol included, uh, you're going to stop fat burning while your body starts to deal with metabolizing and getting rid of this foreign subject that's been brought to the body because the body can't absorb alcohol. It must dispel it, right? And so that's, you know, we don't, when I think about drinking wine, I think about the dinner table and i think about time spent with family or friends new friends old friends and and really what wine does is it it it, it raises our expression of creativity it um, you know it enhances our communication at the right dose level i might add it's <laughs> so, so it also the other beautiful thing about it is that wine lowers that window of vulnerability right And so now we're just a little closer to one another. We're a little bit more emotionally available. And anytime we can become more emotionally in, available and engaged, this is a very positive thing for our consciousness and human relations, right so and we, we like to say that that wine raises our expressions right and so this this is a beautiful thing and wine also creates love right so wine's wine's just wonderful for for the creation of love and we believe anytime we can create more love anytime we can bring more love into our life and more creativity into our life around love this is a beautiful thing and this is where wine is really really so elegant and beautiful in the expression of humanity.
2: I love that. That's beautiful. And that is what you're saying, the poetry of wine, if you will. Um, I want to ask about any interesting, within that, any interesting grape varieties or wines you're really loving right now or things you would be drinking at your table this summer. Tell us uh, what you're into right now.
3: Well, I mean, I think the most interesting thing that's going on right now is, um, is sparkling wines that are naturally made. They're called Pet Nats. In fact, um, just yesterday, Wallpaper Magazine released released an article on them. It was kind of interesting to see, but, but they're sparkling, they're sparkling wines uh, that are naturally made with, um, uh, very interesting grapes and, um, Sparkling rosés and just really, really wonderful, very light and fresh, uh, just super clean. That's probably the most interesting thing. But for me, um, I have a few, I have about four grape varietals, none of them you've ever heard of. And I had never heard of them before, uh, before I got into the natural wine business. But natural wines are also primarily grown using old vines, the average age of vines, um, that our wines are are grown from are over 60 years old and some over 100 years old. You don't find that in, in, in the U.S. Either the average age of a grapevine in the U.S. is 14 years. Uh, the reason being is because as a vine matures, its yield decreases pretty, pretty measurably. And so you replant it in order to get uh, significantly increased yield or money. But the... Um, the, the wines I love are, um, I like really light, super clean and fresh wines. My favorite wine grape is Pinot Duny. Um, my second favorite is Plusard. Uh, my third is Schiava, which is an Italian grape. And then, uh, probably fourth is Trousseau and then fifth would be Pinot Noir. So those are all, they're all super light and fresh, um, very pale skin grapes that produce a very light wine. I I just, I'm just really because I'm aging and I'm really concerned with brain health. I just tend to drink a very low alcohol, very light kind of fresh wine is just what I'm enjoying most.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Great. Well, this has been such helpful information. And of course we have For all listeners, a offer with our affiliate link using the code AllieMillerRD. We'll put a link in the show notes where you can experience dry farm wines and get a bottle added to your order for just a penny. And you can taste some of these unique grapes with complexity and clean influence to still have community and love without the detrimental side effects and the yuck in your system, Um, Thank you so much, Todd, for being on here. We have one final question for you that we asked to all of our uh, guests. And being keto, we're excited to hear your answer. Um, As dieticians, what did you eat and drink yesterday from when you woke up and and when you went to bed?
3: Well, I do 23-hour intermittent fasting daily, so I only eat one meal a day. Um, And um, last night we hosted, we're at, We are the official wine for virtually every forward-looking health conference in the United States. And this weekend, we were in San Diego for Low Carb USA, and we hosted a dinner for some speakers last night. And it included uh, an arugula salad, beef carpaccio, uh, grilled octopus, um, uh, uh, grilled uh, ribeyes, and roasted salmon with hollandaise. That is what I ate. The only thing I ate yesterday. <laughs>
1: that's all you would need to eat. <laughs> <That> sounds excellent.
3: <laughs> I, I think I drank about two bottles of wine. Okay. So it was. Enough uh, <laughs> to balance. Uh, we yeah, it was pretty amazing. So it was a good time. We had twenty six for dinner awesome. last night.
1: So you're still sharp as a tack. So that's a testament.
3: <laughs> I never felt better.
1: All right, Todd, anything you want to leave our listeners with before we let you go?
3: Uh, Touch someone you love, spread more love in the world. Love is the the answer to all. All of humanity's questions. I love
1: that so much. And, you know, your entire company really resonates. That it was funny when we were booking this session, it was like, well, there's mandatory meditation at this time. So every engagement we've had with your staff at, like I said, as I've spoke at PaleoFX and KetoCon and done the VIP dinners and such has been really wonderful community environment. And I'm so happy to have you on here and share your company and your mission with my listeners.
3: Thanks so much. It's a great pleasure to be here, and your listeners can go to dryfarmwines.com forward slash Allie Miller RD and claim their penny bottle.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.